We have been um, trying to search out um, some sort of um, decent um, speaker on Afghanistan. Um, you know, um, we haven't succeeded uh, thus far. Um, hence, um, hence me again. And um, I'll begin by saying that um, I took uh, the took down these notes uh, last night. So please um, bear that in mind. I shall um, come to the punchline in a few minutes. Anyway, um, lots of stories in the, the press, TV, radio, uh, about the, uh, let me get it right, National Resistance Front in the uh, Panjshir uh, Valley, I think to the um, northeast of Kabul, apparently some 200,000 people live there and it's got a reputation of being impenetrable because it's surrounded by high peaks and access to it is very easily defended. And of course, what we have with the National Resistance Front is supposedly a rerun of Masoud, the Lion of Pashir, um, his son, Ahmad. And we also have out there uh, the former Vice President, Amarula Sailor. And um, yeah, they uh, are fighting uh, the Taliban. And um, well, my notes last night uh, included this phrase, the West's hope uh, come off it. So um, this morning when I was um, just checking in terms of any uh, latest developments, um, yeah, I read that the, uh, the Taliban had taken on the uh, National Resistance Front and at least no surprise uh, to me um, had overcome uh, the National Resistance Front. That shouldn't surprise us um, you know, this organization isn't on the receiving end of um, any um, Western aid, um, um, air cover, um, nothing. It's, it's not in the midst of some more generalized um, um, uprising. And indeed, what you've got is a, um, an assertive uh, Taliban now. Uh, equipped with uh, tons and tons and tons of U.S. equipment, um, either left behind by the, uh, the U.S. Um, Army or much more likely um, just dropped uh, by the collapsing, um, uh, you know, former government army, the National Army of um, Afghanistan. So quite frankly, it doesn't come as any surprise to me at least uh, that um, this example of um, I'm just sort of guessing pro-Western um, but um, tribal uh, resistance has come um, to, to naught. Uh, meanwhile we have um, reports of the Taliban getting together a government. Um, what they say is that that will not include uh, former top ministers in the old uh, uh, government. 
And uh, what, what you seem to be having is the situation where um, a new government will be headed by Mullah Baradar. Um, he's, I think, the sort of uh, the political head um, of the Taliban. That will be in Kabul. Meanwhile, further south in Kandahar, um, there's uh, talk of actually having some sort of religious stroke political authority. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of guessing some sort of arrangement along the same sort of lines as Iran, where you have a prime minister who's responsible to the, you know, for running a cabinet and, um, you know, for day-to-day -day running of the country. Meanwhile, you have a supreme leader. That seems to be what the um, emirate um, of uh, uh, Afghanistan um, seems to be going towards. Of course, it needs to be stressed that their model of, you know, is not Iran, um, clearly not. Meanwhile, I think um, significantly, uh, we have the visit um, to Kabul of um, Faiz Hamid. He's the head of the Pakistani ISI. Um, that's basically the Pakistani um, intelligence uh, service. Now, we know historically the role uh, that the ISI has played in, um, in Afghanistan. Uh, not only did it um, act as the conduit of American weapons and American finances uh, for the Mujahideen uh, fighting the Soviet army and the government, the PDPA government in uh, Kabul, um, but also uh, it was the Pakistani ISI that was responsible uh, for the formation um, of the Taliban uh, 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 into a potent uh, military force uh, and uh, their successful push um, all the way from uh, the south um, to uh, Kabul uh, as the Mujahideen factions uh, engaged in a fratricidal uh, civil war. That was the ISI. Um, you know, it supplied not only arms, uh, but also um, experienced military uh, personnel. So uh, the presence of the head of the ISI in Kabul is significant. Why? Because um, I think I'm right in saying that the only country that's genuinely um, celebrating uh, the victory of the Taliban um, uh, is Pakistan. Um, I, I can't think of any other uh, country that is genuinely um, celebrating uh, the victory of the Taliban. That's certainly um, the case with um, Russia and China, uh, that while they might be gloating uh, over the humiliation um, of the United States, they have their own fears, their own worries um, about the Taliban and um, organizations that the Taliban might harbor uh, in terms of the um, former Soviet republics to the south um, of Russia. And of course, no one uh, now is ignorant of um, the Uyghurs and uh, the Muslim uh, 
um, um, you know, majority province um, in, um, in China. So while, you know, the government in Beijing and uh, Moscow uh, have been, um, you know, smiling away about the um, difficulty that America got in, um, the humiliation that America uh, uh, suffered, uh, they have their own worries. Um, Pakistan um, celebrated uh, the victory of the Taliban as uh, Afghanistan throws off its chains, quote, uh, uh, unquote. Now, it's conceivable, um, and Yasmin Mathers sort of raised this um, as a possibility, uh, that uh, the um, Pakistani government, the Pakistani ISI, uh, could find themselves with a Frankenstein uh, monster. Uh, because if we look at uh, Afghanistan and we look at specifically at the Taliban, uh, this is a Pushtan uh, dominated um, organization. Uh, the Pushtan are the largest nationality in Afghanistan. Uh, they make up 40% um, of the population. And it's worth noting uh, that if you take Pakistan itself, uh, Pashto speakers uh, make up, I think the official figure is 18%. And of course, those 18% are concentrated in the north of Pakistan, of where the legal remit of Islamabad doesn't really go. So you're really into tribal areas, you're dealing with very mountainous uh, uh, territory. From the point of view of the government in Pakistan, you're dealing with lawless, a lawless territory. And it's far from inconceivable uh, that the Taliban now finding themselves um, in power in uh, Kabul uh, could actually link up with their fellow Pashto speakers uh, to their south. Um, I don't know whether that will happen, uh, but I wouldn't discount uh, that as a possibility. Now, of course, in terms of uh, China in particular, um, it's maintained its embassy in Kabul and clearly will be busy uh, trying to cut a deal uh, with the Taliban. That makes strategic sense uh, for um, uh, China, one, because of its um, Eastern Muslim um, areas, but also, too, uh, because of its um, grand strategy. Um, China's often viewed the American presence in Afghanistan, you know, over the last 20 years as part of some master plan to encircle, you know, to draw a moon, uh, an arc uh, around um, uh, China. Um, so, um, yes, the replacement of um, the Americans or the, the scuttle of the Americans out, uh, the collapse of the pro-American puppet uh, government enables China, although it hasn't got a long border uh, with uh, Afghanistan, uh, nevertheless, it, it enables it to link up with its ally, uh, Pakistan. And of course, Pakistan, um, its um, existential um, enemy is India. That's sort of drawn into the DNA um, of the subcontinent when the British divided it. Um, into East and West Pakistan and India. We all know what happened to East Pakistan. It became Bangladesh. Um, 
But in terms of uh, West Pakistan, uh, what we have there is a Chinese uh, ally. And of course, uh, China is also uh, in conflict with um, India and India is being busily courted uh, by Britain and most importantly uh, by uh, the United States. That's of course, in spite of uh, Modi's, um, what should we call it, illiberal democracy uh, in uh, New, New Delhi. Okay, uh, we also have in the news, uh, the reports of this uh, women's demonstration in Kabul being broken up by um, um, Taliban special forces of bullets being fired, of tear gas uh, being fired. Now, I have to confess uh, to not being a television uh, viewer, so I'm very glad I didn't rely on the BBC or simply press reports here. Uh, but I actually had a look at uh, video clips of this demonstration because two things leap out uh, when you actually see the pictures. Picture can, you know, pictures worth a thousand words and all the rest of it. Uh, what struck me uh, was two things. And first of all, the very, very small size um, of this uh, uh, demonstration. And secondly, this sort of social composition um, of this demonstration. So the size. I'm guessing, you know, a couple of dozen uh, people. Um, and as to the social makeup, um, it, they struck me as, um, you know, from the affluent areas um, of uh, Kabul. This wasn't um, ordinary women. Uh, it was nothing like the huge upsurge uh, that there was um, in Iran uh, when the, um, the veil uh, was imposed by the um, theocrats. You know, the, that demonstration in uh, Tehran was massive. I mean, I haven't got a clue uh, how many, but, you know, if someone told me 100,000, 100,000 plus, uh, you know, I would believe that. Uh, nothing like that in um, uh, Kabul. And quite frankly, you know, it does strike me that what we have here is a, a news story uh, that Western uh, outlets are very hungry for and will pay anything to get hold of uh, footage or, or some sort of um, copy, some sort of story of female resistance, armed resistance, um, you know, pro-Western uh, demonstrations, the execution of a poet, uh, the execution of a, a musician, all of those stories, there seems to be a very high price um, um, on. Um, so I think there's an awful lot of um, stuff that's being generated, you know, by the 24 hour news cycle, rather uh, than actually, this is serious politics, this is really what's going on, this is the significance of uh, Afghanistan, we really are not getting that uh, at, uh, at the present uh, moment. So again, another to me, trivial uh, uh, sort of news stories, John Major wringing his hands, describing um, Biden's pullout as shameful and as a, a strategic blunder. Well, of course, we all know uh, that if only John Major had been in command, he would have done it all differently, wouldn't he? Well, come on, you've been there 20 years. Um, unless the project was to convert um, Afghanistan uh, into a full-blown US colony, 20 years 
um, left what? A complete failure. Uh, what you had is America basically uh, running the show, one with bribery, um, preserving the existing social structures and uh, drones and airstrikes. Uh, clearly, that wasn't sustainable. Uh, Obama tried his uh, surge. Uh, that wasn't successful. And of course, it was Trump who negotiated and agreed uh, a date for the American pullout. And all, all you know is if America hadn't kept to that date, uh, then the Taliban, one would guess, uh, would be striking at American forces. And of course, they'd agreed not to attack American stroke NATO uh, forces. So, you know, what would John Major uh, do different? Did he have intelligence that the Afghan army uh, wouldn't fight? Um, I think that the collapse of the um, Afghan army took everyone by surprise. Not that it collapsed, but by the, you know, breakneck speed uh, uh, of its uh, collapse. Hence the sort of chaotic scenes uh, at the end of people, you know, desperately uh, trying to get out. But I, I just think that that goes with the territory. Um, I don't think that um, it could have been uh, dramatically uh, different. After all, what do you do? Send troops back in uh, to occupy Kabul um, um, air, airfield? Uh, what happens if the Taliban start to mortar it? Do you then start bombing the city? It doesn't really um, um, add, add up. And the Taliban made it clear uh, that the United States had to stick uh, to this, this, you know, to the agreed deadline, that if the United States agreed to stick to the deadline, it wouldn't launch uh, attacks and it didn't launch attacks. It's true we had the attack by uh, ISIS, but that's clearly not uh, uh, the Taliban. Okay. Um, we also have um, the story that um, various Western governments cannot recognize uh, the Taliban government when it's uh, formed. That should happen as I've indicated um, soon. They cannot recognize it because the Taliban came to power using force. Well, that's a laugh, isn't it? Because I can't think of any regime on, on the face of this planet that either hasn't come to power using force or doesn't retain power using uh, force vast majority of regimes uh, that are in power today, of course, came to power using force. Really what this is code for is that the Taliban uh, refused to play the game, that the Americans and the Taliban have been in negotiations from the Taliban's point of view. They made it perfectly clear uh, that they didn't treat the um, regime in Kabul seriously that the only thing that they would talk to Kabul about is surrender terms. Uh, but what the Americans wanted, what Britain wanted, was a smooth transition whereby the Taliban would share power. And what they wanted was something along the lines of um, South Africa and the transition from apartheid and the transition from the, the nationalist party uh, regime uh, to the ANC regime. And basically the deal in South Africa was that the ANC can have the government as long as that government doesn't interfere with foreign investments and the, the smooth runnings of uh, uh, capitalism. So you end up with uh, a situation 
uh, where the head of the South African Secret Service is a member of the Communist Party. Um, who are they cooperating with? The CIA, the CIA uh, and MI6. Um, they become, in that sense, integrated in uh, to the imperial uh, system. It's that that the Americans wanted, and that is what the Taliban uh, refused to give. Hence, uh, this talk about illegitimacy, coming to power uh, using force and withholding Afghan money uh, from the Afghan uh, uh, government. Uh, should be added as a footnote uh, to this story that the um, Alliance for Workers' Liberty, uh, the social imperialist um, Alliance for Workers' Liberty is running a story along the lines uh, that this shows the American withdrawal, shows that America isn't a colonial power. Uh, well, yes, <laughs> in the sense that uh, um, when America uh, took over world hegemony from the British Empire, uh, it didn't send in um, governors and uh, regional uh, governors and um, a whole civil service and a occupying army and all the rest of it. That's certainly true. No, America rules in the main uh, because of its um, economic power, which, yes, is backed up uh, um, when push comes to shove by overwhelming uh, military uh, superiority. But of course, the point that the AWL want to make is that that is in contrast to the Soviet Union. Um, according to them, uh, the Soviet Union went into Afghanistan in order to establish a colony. I just cannot um, uh, see the sense uh, um, um, in, in that. It clearly went in uh, because it saw the um, threat of um, some sort of hostile regime uh, being put in place in Kabul uh, that, was that would replace uh, the PDPA government um, um, in Kabul. Um, that's why the Soviet Union uh, went in. It wasn't to extract raw materials. It wasn't to exploit um, the labor power um, of the peasants or workers in Afghanistan. It was a strategic decision. And given the decline um, of the Soviet Union and the disbelief uh, in the Soviet Union's um, leadership about its own system, uh, of course, uh, what we saw um, is the Americans successfully speed up the collapse uh, of um, um, the Soviet Union. And, and it's remarkable, isn't it? It certainly took me by a surprise, you know, thinking back uh, to it, that the, uh, the government of the PDPA in Kabul lasted longer uh, than the Soviet Union, that the Soviet Union pulled out uh, and that government lasted. The Soviet Union collapsed and that government uh, lasted. I think it lasted, um, I'm not quite sure of the date, um, but anyway, <laughs> it outlasted uh, the, um, the Soviet uh, Union. Okay, let's, um, let's move on. Just a quick sort of uh, note, quite a lot of this political report's gonna be a bit uh, disjointed. Um, so just noting Germany, forthcoming general election, um, September the 26th. And what we have, uh, surprising, I suppose, to a lot of us, and I would include myself 
uh, in that. I'm not bowled over, but I'm sort of, oh, that's uh, interesting sort of type idea. We have the Social Democratic Party uh, ahead of the CDU, Christian Democratic Union, uh, depending on which poll you read, uh, but between three and five percent. And given uh, that it was only a month ago, of something like that, I can remember having discussions, you know, about, wow, look at the Greens in Germany. They're ahead in the opinion polls. And um, you had a situation where the Social Democratic Party uh, was in danger um, of coming third. Um, you know, remember, this is a historically um, established party uh, that goes back uh, to the 19th century. True, it's radically different. Uh, to the party that uh, published, uh, first of all, the Gotha program and then the Erfurt uh, program. Nevertheless, that's, that's its history. And here's a party that I think only officially abandoned Marxism, I think in the early 50s, it was either 53 or 56, I can't remember uh, what the date was. Either way, what we have uh, today is not only uh, the Social Democratic Party ahead in the polls in its early days, isn't it? So let's not count our Social Democratic Party-led governments yet. Uh, but what we have is Olaf Schultz uh, basically playing as a, a male version of Angela Merkel. Um, he's the vice chancellor. Uh, Merkel is going and, um, you know, far from the junior partner in this particular instance, suffering, um, you know, uh, as a result of merely being the junior partner, um, they've, they've turned that so that the uh, Social Democratic Party um, is projecting itself as um, Mr. Trustworthy, um, Mr. Fix-It. So if it comes to COVID, um, Schultz can fix it. Uh, if it comes to housing, he can fix it, uh, you name it, because he's got experience, he's a safe pair uh, of hands. Now, I think a lot of that has got to do with um, good uh, marketing, uh, but most of it, I think, has got to do with the lacklustre um, performance thus far uh, of the Greens and the CDU. And therefore, at least in terms of some uh, German publications, there's the possibility being raised of a, because they ever do everything in traffic lights in, in Germany when it comes to their politics, of a red, red, green um, um, a coalition. A coalition between the Social Democrats, the Green Party, which has been riding high, although it's fallen um, in the polls, and De Linke, the left party, uh, in essence, a split away uh, from the Social Democrats, plus a merger uh, with the old official Communist Party, the Socialist Unity Party um, of the former uh, GDR, German Democratic uh, Republic. At the moment, though, um, the De Linke ain't exactly popular. Uh, it's gone through the transition that is very typical uh, with such parties, uh, they begin uh, on the basis of being uh, a critic of the system, an outsider party, but they have a hunger. The leaders have a hunger uh, to get their feet under the table uh, of a coalition government. They're looking forward to becoming ministers, ministerial cars, 
and all the perks that come with the job and after uh, the job. So they are desperate to get into a government. And of course, what's happened is in terms of their reassuring the world about their um, respectability uh, is their outsider-ish has been sold for an insider politics. So when it comes to things like Israel, uh, NATO, uh, Delinka is a safe uh, party uh, uh, nowadays. So we don't know what the coloration of the um, um, German coalition, and it will be a coalition. There's no question about that. Uh, but it's not inconceivable, as I said, uh, that we could see a green, red, red uh, coalition. And I'd simply ask those on the left who are hankering uh, after a British version of Syriza, a British version of uh, Syriza, uh, excuse me, a, a, a British version of Syriza, a British version of Delinka, just to look at the experience of the Syriza government in uh, Greece, its uh, um, capitulation uh, to um, the demands of the EU to become a debt colony uh, to all intents and uh, purposes, and the transition um, of um, uh, Delinka. Um, so at the moment, yeah, in terms of some comrades uh, who are either still in the Labour Party or who are uh, outside the Labour Party, either voluntarily um, or because they've been expelled, uh, there is this, um, in my view, crazy idea of um, establishing a broad socialist party. Uh, sometimes the, the phrase is a broad socialist party led by Marxists. Well, the problem is with a broad party led by Marxists is under those circumstances, the Marxists only stand for Marxism in private. Uh, they never stand for Marxism uh, in terms of winning uh, what they're meant to be leading uh, to Marxism. Marxism under those circumstances becomes something that's divisive, something that's sectarian. Don't raise that because it will um, spoil our uh, broadness, which is code word uh, actually for compromise with capitalism uh, and the bourgeoisie. That's the logic of such a, a political formation. That's been the history of uh, such uh, political formations. They don't represent a step forward uh, for the working class. Uh, they actually represent at least one step back uh, for the working class. So we in the Labour Party Marxists and the CPGB would very much welcome socialists in Britain getting together uh, to form a socialist party. But as long as we're all fighting for that party to be equipped with a Marxist political programme and armed with Marxist uh, political principles, which got nothing to do with sectarianism, everything to do uh, with the long-term interests of the working class forming itself into a class, forming itself into a ruling class and overcoming capitalism on a global scale and making the transition to communism. There's nothing sectarian uh, 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 about that. That is about common interests of the working class uh, and indeed humanity. Um, throwing a lifeline uh, to capitalism, saving capitalism from the capitalists um, is a fool's um, uh, errand. Just a quick few uh, comments, social care, big battle seems to be brewing in the government. 
um, over whether to pay for social care using national insurance or the savings uh, of pensioners. At the present time, if you've got assets above £23,250 in Britain, you have to pay for social care, which means selling your house, um, which uh, is not popular uh, with pensioners. On the other hand, a big hike uh, in uh, national insurance uh, payments is not going to be popular uh, either with employers um, or workers. So there's talk about oh, the Tories will lose, um, you know, general election uh, votes if they go ahead with one plan or the other. The problem I have with all such, um, 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 how should I put it, discourse, is that general elections aren't usually fought on one issue. Uh, they're fought on a whole number of issues. And crucially, what decides most people's vote um, isn't the party that you vote for, it's the party that you're voting against. So an awful lot of uh, Tories vote uh, uh, Tory because they don't like the Labour Party. Uh, an awful lot of Labour Party people vote Labour because they hate the Tories. Um, so these things are never straightforward. It's no good going to a focus group and saying, well, would you vote Tory if they introduced national insurance payments? Because most people would say, no, that's a stupid idea. But when it comes to a general election, we get a different result. OK, but what we have on the Labour side is the seemingly um, you know, sensible thing to do, uh, and that is go for tax the rich. Uh, don't tax uh, workers and their jobs. Don't tax uh, the pensioners. Tax the rich. And of course, the problem with that is, uh, and that is that rich people have good accountants. Uh, rich people um, can actually move. Uh, rich people can get out of Britain and take their money uh, with them. So, you know, Richard Branson might live somewhere out there in the Caribbean because of the sunshine and because he loves the sand and uh, uh, all the rest of it. Of course, that must be the case because it nothing to do, would it, uh, with uh, the tax rates uh, in Britain. And the same goes for, um, you know, I remember I'm a sort of... Um, not saying a pop fan of the 1960s, but you know what I mean. And I can certainly remember um, the Beatles song Tax Man and loads of, um, you know, um, rich pop stars um, going abroad because I think the tax rate was 90, something like 98 pence in the pound. Well, as I say, if you've got a decent uh, accountant, they can find all sorts of ways uh, around that. Either way, it doesn't turn into um, such an easy option, actually. But as a slogan, of course, you can see its popularity. And that's something that Andy Burnham, as well as some uh, comrades on the left, are sort of agitating uh, uh, for. OK, um, another small story in the um, uh, in the press um, today. Um, and I read it, first of all, in the Evening Standard, but I also note that it's uh, in the independence. I'm sure it's across all the news media now. We've had the arrest of Abdullah Kurechi. He's from uh, West Yorkshire, and he's been charged by the police with uh, racially or religiously aggravated um, assault. And uh, what we've had in North London, in Stamford Hill, uh, this is an area in North London that I would describe as uh, very Jewish, uh, but poor 
uh, Jewish. So this isn't the equivalent of um, um, Finchley. Um, uh, it's not full of, uh, well, it is full of big houses, but it's full of big houses with very, very, very large uh, uh, families. Either way, uh, there's been three attacks on uh, Jewish people, and this is what this guy has been charged with. Um, one was a 30-year-old who was bottled. One was a 14-year-old. And the one that they caught on um, film was an attack on a 64-year-old um, Orthodox uh, Jew. Now, there are those, uh, I have to stress, there are those, and they are a minority uh, uh, on the left that says this isn't uh, anti-Semitism. Uh, well, we don't know the details um, um, of this case. We don't know uh, whether the guy will be found innocent or guilty. We, we're not going to comment on that. Uh, but taking it um, on face value, uh, if three Jews have been picked out for attack because they look Jewish, uh, then I would say that's anti-Semitism. That might be different uh, to what happened in the 20s. Uh, that might be different to what happened in the 1850s. I don't know what happened in the 1850s. Uh, it's certainly different to what happened in uh, medieval times. And it's certainly different uh, to what the Romans did, um, you know, in Jerusalem, um, 66 to 70 um, um, AD. There isn't some, um, you know, um, continuous flow uh, of anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism takes different forms under different societies uh, with different class formations. And it's a, a basic error uh, to put an equal sign between them. You can see the interest of the Zionists uh, in doing that, but Marxists uh, most certainly do not uh, do that. Either way, I would say this is an example of modern um, anti-racism. It would appear to be carried out by someone um, who comes from a Muslim uh, background, and we condemn it. Uh, it's as simple as that, and we shouldn't make uh, uh, any bones uh, about it with some trick uh, of saying this isn't really uh, anti-Semitism. It is real anti-Semitism because if you're walking along the road and you happen to be Jewish in Stamford Hill and someone comes up to you and attacks you, someone comes up and bottles you because they think you're Jewish, uh, to me that is anti-Semitism. And we need to make our position quite clear on that, as we did uh, when we dealt with the anti-Semitism of a group called uh, Socialist Fight, who are basically counting up the number of millionaires and billionaires in America and uh, uh, drawing, the, uh, drawing from that the inference that Jews run America, uh, that American foreign policy is subordinate uh, to Judaism. And it's really the Israeli dog, uh, excuse me, it was really the uh, Israeli tail that was wagging uh, the American dog. Um, we, we condemned that. And we also remove those uh, people from uh, the ranks of labor against witch hunt. We didn't extend that, uh, I stress, uh, to uh, calling for these comrades, I call them comrades, uh, with some hesitation. I know one has gone um, and seen the light, but um, we didn't extend that to a call for people to be expelled from the Labour Party. To me, you look at the leadership of the Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn, uh, but especially before Jeremy Corbyn, 
it's got other problems, not least the fact that it's pro-NATO, pro-nuclear weapons and pro-capitalist. Um, and I don't take the view uh, that one anti-Semite is one anti-Semite too many in the sense that we should call for expulsions. What we call for um, is education uh, and we call for people to be educated. If that doesn't work, uh, then maybe you should consider something else. But the main point is, if someone's in the Labour Party with the main objective of peddling uh, anti-Semitism, that's very different uh, for something, someone having some sort of residual idiotic uh, prejudice or some sort of belief in some crazy conspiracy uh, uh, theory. Okay. Um, right. Oh, the next one. Uh, Shortage of workers, in particular HGV uh, drivers, as a result of that, doctors are complaining about uh, uh, flu jabs uh, when it comes to the winter not being uh, delivered. If you talk to people who run supermarkets, they're saying they can't get this, can't get that. Uh, you've got a situation of supermarkets engaging in a bidding war for HGV drivers, one uh, with the um, um, other. Why is this happening? Well, there's two factors, isn't there? It's pretty obvious. Uh, one is called Brexit. Uh, the other is called COVID. And of course, what's happened as a result of those two uh, factors is that uh, lorry drivers um, from EU countries um, have gone back home or gone and worked in Germany or elsewhere. I don't know. Um, just to note, uh, why this particular story particularly struck me uh, was just looking at Charlie Kimber, you know, the Joint National Secretary of um, Socialist Worker, writing in Socialist Worker, saying that the previous position before the bidding war started uh, had nothing to do with the number of migrants. Uh, that the reason why British, and I'm talking about it, you know, not in terms of nationality, but people based in Britain were poorly paid, was bad trade unions nothing to do with migrants. Well, I agree with him on bad trade unions. Uh, from our point of view, trade unions should try to organize uh, workers irrespective of nationality so that they don't undermine each other. Um, that is basic um, trade unionism. But the idea uh, that migration makes no difference uh, in and of itself um, is clearly um, untenable. I mean, all I need to do is pose the question uh, that if you doubled the supply of gold, what would happen to the price of gold? I mean, anyone who tells me it stays the same. Uh, no, I mean, if you double the supply of labor, what happens? Um, it goes down unless you've got very strong trade unions. And of course, then you come eventually uh, up to the actual limits of trade unionism, because trade unionism is a fight within capitalism and uh, uh, ultimately the capitalists have a choice of shutting down uh, production or for that matter yeah importing more labor so those brexiteers that are celebrating uh, these uh, pay rises uh, that lorry drivers are getting uh, now i think are um, foolish in the extreme uh, because the government could could it hasn't so far turned around and said okay we're going to make special provision 
for you importing HGV drivers from wherever in the world. Governments can do that. At the moment, it hasn't. And that's interesting in and of itself. OK, um, Texas, uh, in effect, they've introduced a ban on abortion. On top of that, they've um, uh, offering people uh, a bounty uh, to report illegal abortions. And um, we have um, the distinct possibility um, of um, some sort of uh, crisis in America uh, because uh, Biden is saying that they that you know the the administration the central administration is going to stand by the women of Texas and clearly uh, what you've got is a clash between state rights uh, but also uh, I would guess uh, to come a clash between state rights the Supreme Court uh, and the government um, in uh, Washington how that works out I don't know but I would simply add this thought. Um, uh, to it, uh, that there are still those on the left who believe in some sort of linear uh, progress, that basically history is a story of things getting better. Uh, that, you know, if we look back to the 60s, um, you know, when women definitely were treated legally as second class citizens, uh, of when abortion was illegal, of where homosexuality was illegal. Um, you know, people can easily fall for the idea that it's all one way. And I think that's profoundly mistaken. Uh, you know, you've seen the election of Trump. We've seen the election of Modi. We're seeing what's going on in, uh, in Texas. Uh, clearly, uh, this is a product of um, neoliberalism, or should I say the product of rebellion against neoliberalism from the right. Um, and the last thing that the left should do is what the left has been doing, and that is lining up uh, with the forces of liberalism uh, and saying that these are our natural allies, uh, i.e. what we do, we line up uh, with Hillary Clinton against Donald Trump. Uh, I think that's a strategic mistake. I understand why um, people fall for that temptation, but it is a strategic mistake. Uh, because what people say um, is, well, you're responsible for the election of Biden. You're responsible uh, for what happened to our jobs um, under uh, Obama. You're responsible for what happened to our wages. Um, so the working class needs its own party and needs its own strategy. That can involve all sorts of tactical uh, decisions, but strategically uh, we should aim to separate the working class movement from the influence uh, of liberalism and the lesser of two evils, temptations uh, of um, liberalism. Just another American story, Storm Ida, 41 dead. Um, I don't know the exact statistics, but in New York, for example, as I understand it, a lot of the deaths there were the result of people um, digging down um, and having basements and living in basements. Well, in my part of London, there are a huge number of basements. It's like a rabbit warren, uh, but these are the rich uh, digging down. And it wasn't the rich that died in New York, it was the poor. So I'm guessing, and if we have any Americans um, um, in the discussion, I'd be 
um, interested for them to come in. My guess is that there is digging down in New York for the purposes of renting out apartments. Either way, nowadays what we have is a situation where the uh, um, BBC, Sky, you know, ITV, blah, 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 do not any longer say, well, uh, this might have something to do with climate change. Nowadays, we have, this is uh, attributable, not directly, but this is attributable uh, to climate change. The climate change is uh, contributed to significantly uh, by the human factor, i.e. the release of CO2, uh, methane from cattle herds, um, industrial farming, you can just carry on uh, down the list, and they don't feel obliged any longer uh, to get someone like uh, Lord Lawson on uh, to say that it's all a load of rubbish. The key question nowadays isn't really, at least in, from my angle, uh, to debate uh, the human role um, in, in terms of climate change. The key question is the politics of uh, climate change. Do we rely on the government of Boris Johnson? Do we rely on the government of Joe Biden? Do we rely on the, you know, the um, government of Zia, Z in um, uh, Beijing? Do we rely um, on um, COP26 uh, in uh, Glasgow? Um, well, my answer to that would be um, no. Uh, I don't trust these governments. I, ca I cannot see how the system, um, you know, um, can actually overcome this problem. And if it can overcome this problem, uh, my fear is that it would overcome it via some sort of uh, climate change socialism. And I don't mean that. Uh, as a step in the direction towards proletarian socialism, I mean it exactly in the sense uh, that the German high command used the term war socialism. Uh, this would involve um, a reduction in democratic rights, a reduction in ordinary people's uh, uh, living standards. Uh, this would see, um, you know, systemic corruption. Um, um, this would be a version of barbarism to save us. Uh, from uh, barbarism. And just to illustrate uh, that point, I just thought I'd flag up uh, 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 a separate news item that's clearly related to this question. And that is uh, Putin's announcement uh, that next year, uh, the Northern Passage uh, from Murmansk to Vladivostok and therefore down to Japan and down to China uh, will be open 365 days of the year, uh, that instead of it being iced in, um, I'm just guessing for some like three months, two months uh, of the year, it will be kept open and it will be kept open, not because they've developed even more powerful uh, nuclear powered um, icebreakers, uh, it will be possible because of global warming. The ice is thinner. Uh, the ice is easier uh, to break through and keep open. And so that next year will become a permanent feature. And in, in that sense, what you have is Russia going back to the far north that was abandoned uh, with the collapse um, of the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union threw a lot of resources into developing the far north, 
um, which basically were abandoned with the collapse of the Soviet Union and uh, the implosion um, of the Russian um, economy. Um, so there's a return. Um, in the main, my understanding is this will be for purposes of mining. Um, and we're not yet talking about oil uh, in terms of the Arctic Ocean itself, although it's clearly there. But at the moment, that is too expensive uh, to get out. But if the price went up, maybe it would become um, economic. And the reason why I'm quoting that um, is simply to point out uh, that for some countries, um, clearly global warming will have its plus point. Uh, for other countries, it will be a disaster. And in a world divided between rival powers uh, as well as rival companies, it does strike me very, it strikes me as very hard uh, for the governments that come together in November in Glasgow uh, to come to an agreement um, that will actually stop um, global um, uh, warming. Uh, to the 1.5 degrees centigrade uh, above uh, pre-industrial uh, times. It, it does strike me that they are structurally incapable of doing that, although I think they will be at some point propelled in that direction. All I would add is that thus far, they haven't really done anything. I mean, uh, Britain closing its coal mines had nothing to do uh, with global warming. And the rest really is um, really at the level of um, gesture. I think that at some point they will go beyond that, uh, but that is something that the working class needs to take as a warning. And what we need is, is a minimum program uh, to fight around on, on this question uh, that prepares the working class to become a ruling class. Okay, just a um, last point. This is on China. Um, we seem to be having a turn in China. Um, this is Z. Um, it's not new, 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 but I think um, I think this represents a, um, a deepening of this uh, common prosperity. And uh, what seems to be happening is that there's a move to clamp down on the strength of the billionaire class. Um, so we've seen various companies, um, you know, reined in. Um, we've also seen um, measures against uh, various uh, billionaires. We've seen, um, uh, is it an, a red book of um, Z's thoughts that has become compulsory in schools? We've also seen um, uh, the limit, I think, is it to three hours a week of children uh, playing um, computer games. Um, but the, the interesting thing about this is that some have greeted this as a turn back uh, to socialism. So if you read um, Monthly Review, American publication, um, some of their writers are greeting this as some sort of turn back uh, to socialism or part of the plan uh, that the Chinese Communist Party had from the beginning uh, to have um, uh, an advanced socialism with Chinese characteristics. And they've set a date for it now, uh, 2049. Of course, that would coincide with the 100th anniversary of uh, the revolution. Uh, well, in my view, uh, first of all, we need to say that was there socialism 
in China from 1949, not in my view. I mean, I've described it for what it's worth as a, a bureaucratic socialism. But the most important thing for Marxists is precisely uh, uh, not to label um, things as well, it's, it's nothing to do with us, Gov. Uh, the key question for Marxists is try to understand the society. So the question uh, I would raise uh, with this uh, move is who is in command? Is it the party or is it the billionaires? And I would say that that's an open uh, question. Um, I know I've read uh, in um, some articles um, now that um, capitalists are allowed to join uh, the Communist Party of China that, well, um, you know, capitalists make up a tiny percentage of the ranks of the Communist Party. I mean, that's perhaps one of the most naive things I've ever read. Um, I mean, the ranks of the Communist Party in China, what is it, 91 million people. Um, so it would take an awful lot of capitalists to make up a significant percentage of that. Could they actually do it if they all joined uh, the Chinese Communist Party? Uh, I don't think so. But the key thing, of course, about millionaires and billionaires uh, is their capital, is their ability to bribe, uh, is their ability to, um, you know, obtain favours through corrupt practices. And therefore, what's interesting about this uh, latest move uh, in terms of common prosperity is that the um, disciplinary department of the Communist Party of China has been given instructions to investigate the families of leading Communist Party officials and to see uh, if they've got uh, um, links uh, with the capitalists. Now, of course, this could be uh, a way for Xi to purge uh, the party of factional opponents. I don't know. Uh, on the other hand, if you take it on face value, maybe something else is going on. In other words, a, a struggle is taking uh, uh, place. I simply uh, don't know, um, but you could quite conceivably see a situation uh, of where China is uh, using the power of the state and the power of the Communist Party uh, to um, subordinate uh, uh, capital. Uh, to its interests. And of course, in China, um, while there are, uh, um, you know, billionaires in, in important positions, you know, in terms of the economy, uh, clearly, uh, there's going to be a struggle um, in terms of the direction that uh, China goes uh, uh, in, in the future. And what we've seen is China basically being let into the World Trade Organization, and then renege on the deal, uh, that it didn't let uh, itself become an American uh, neo-colony. Uh, uh, so the important thing is to try to get to grips uh, with the direction uh, that China is going and what contradictions uh, the, that there are in China. Um, and that needs um, study rather than um, instant answers. Um, instant answers are a waste of time. That's it. Thank you very much.